In all my 20 years of working with fashion brands, creative agencies, retail stores, and working on some of the most prominent collaborations of all time, you know what the most stressful thing I've ever done is? Trying to start a podcast. No, seriously, trying to get a podcast off the ground is like advanced mathematics. It's a tangled web of codes, confusing links, and algorithms. That is until the day I discovered Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. A, it is free. B, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your smartphone or computer. C, Anchor will take care of distributing your podcast for you so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else people listen to shows. And last but not least, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Thank you, Anchor. No, really, thank you. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Hey, this is Jeff Staple from Hype Radio, and I'm here to make an important announcement. As you know, Hype Beast Radio started off a year ago as just one single show. Today, that one show has successfully grown into an entire platform. And if you've noticed, we're now calling it Hype Radio. Hype Radio currently has three shows. One is my show, The Business of Hype. The other two shows are The HBR Show and Soundcheck. The HBR Show, hosted by Hypebeast senior editor Robert Marshall, is the original Hypebeast radio show, hence the name, and it's where the industry's most innovative and inspiring creatives come on and talk directly to their fans, discussing their journey towards success, lessons learned along the way, and thoughts on the state of the culture, all in real time. The Soundcheck Show, hosted by Hypebeast music editor Manny Madakalam, is our look at the entire music scene at large. Manny brings you in-depth conversations with your favorite musicians and industry figures, digging into their origin stories and asking the tough questions that you want answered. Together, our three shows now form Hype Radio, and you can bet there will be more shows on the horizon. Now, this is where your part comes in. As you might have noticed, currently, by subscribing to Hype Beast Radio or Hype Radio, you're getting all three shows served up to you. Well, now we are going to separate them so that you can choose which shows you want to subscribe to. And I highly encourage you subscribe to all three. So this show that you're currently listening to, this will only serve out the business of hype. And if you want to keep hearing the HBR show and the Soundcheck show, you'll need to, right now, subscribe to them individually. And you'll definitely want to do that right away because you never know who's going to drop into the studio. So whether you're on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, search HBR Show and Soundcheck and subscribe today. Okay, let's get back to this week's episode. From Hype Beast and Hype Radio, I am Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. Oftentimes on this show, we have a single-minded, focused expert in a particular field. It's rare that we have a guest like we do on this one, where one creative mind extends to so many different fields, from high fashion to film to gaming to automotive. It's also extremely rare that a designer has stunt car driving on their resume. My Ikizawa is such a person. 
And besides hearing all of her unique skills and talents, we also get to hear about her journey from owning a rather large agency to downsizing herself to a single entity and the trials and tribulations in between. The journey takes her all the way from Tokyo, Japan to her home studio in London, England, where we recorded this episode. So buckle up. Everyone welcome Mai Ikazawa to the business of hype. My name is Mai Ikazawa. I am, well, basically I'm a creative director. My agency is called Bow Wow International, mm. but um, it's difficult to really describe what I do because I'm something that I'm beyond a creative director. Mm -hmm. I'm beyond visual arts. And uh, I often struggle to actually explain mm -hmm. what I do. But creative director is kind of like the closest moniker you found? I think so. I am. Um, uh, you can find me one if you want after this interview. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll help you. And your company name is Bow Wow International. Yes. Why Bow Wow? So, um, so when I left college, art college, I went to Central St. Martin's mm -hmm. back in the 90s. I don't want to... Very good school. Very good school. And um, I went into advertising, uh -huh. big agencies, didn't like it. So, and naturally I started my own kind of design uh, company back then. And um, I called it Meow. Okay. Um, I just thought that it would be really funny for an agency that had like girl staff, me and my two designers, mm -hmm. they were all girls at the time, and we'll pick up the phone when clients call, <laughs> and we'll just go meow. <laughs> that was your vision. That was my vision. <laughs> and uh, so that was then, and uh, subsequently um, things went wrong, uh -huh. as they do with uh, your first projects. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Things, I fell out with my business partner, mm -hmm. so I came back with a bang. Yeah. <laughs> okay, if cat's no good, we'll go for the dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it just bow wow stuck with me, and I think, um, I don't know, as a name, it's quite bold and funny. And yeah. And the catchy. international part is like global dogs. <laughs> global dogs, yeah. <laughs> the gang. Right. Actually, with I didn't know about meow. Um, so how long did Meow exist for? Oh my god, I, I can't remember. Possibly, uh, like five to ten years. Really? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. So in a five to ten year business, there's got to be some level of success that you had before it had a falling apart. Yeah, I had uh, about 15 people working full time. Uh, we had a huge uh, office based in Clerkenwell, East London. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a proper agency and back in those days, to get those big clients, you had to have the boardroom, account handlers. Yeah. You know, it was very, very kind of... Co corporate almost. Corporate. Yeah. Corporate right. um, design ad agency. Mm -hmm. And you founded it with two other friends? Uh, no, it was myself and um, I had a business partner. Okay. And, uh, and what happened? Oh, just uh, different visions, okay. <laughs> to put it politely, uh -huh. and uh, it just didn't work out. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if if you, uh, Bow Wow is yourself, you don't have partners in Bow Wow, right? No. So, um, I think we learn pretty fast, or we hope to learn pretty fast mm -hmm. from our mistakes. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, personally, one, um, to not have business partners, mm. and two, not to have staff. 
or to keep it minimal. <laughs> okay. Um, well, for me anyway, mm -hmm. I just thought that, um, especially from a visual creative background, um, uh, just managing people mm. just took so much of my time and energy and um, it, I, I, it just didn't suit my personality. Yeah, being a boss. Of being a, a boss. Yeah. The American dream, or in this case, the British dream, co-founding a big design agency, employing dozens of people, big clients on the roster, the corner office. For most people, this is the dream. But Mai realized that for her, at least in this particular phase of her life, this was actually the nightmare. And her goals shifted. She now has no office and no employees. So this isn't a story of massive growth, it's actually a story of self-awareness. The lesson here is that you can't live life trying to live someone else's dream. You have to know how to draft your own and live it to the fullest. Well, what would you say are the pros and the cons of having a partner? Because there's plenty of businesses that have partnerships and That's they're fine. True. So what are some positives and then some negatives? Oh, because the, when things go wrong in a business, if you have a business partner, you have somebody to really, you know, as your... Uh, what do you call uh, sidekick mm -hmm. to really support each other yeah. through anything that goes wrong mm -hmm. or you have a shoulder to sort of yeah, lean on. yeah. and to share ideas uh -huh. I think you can't always think on your own right on how to mm -hmm. build and uh, plan a business going forward so, yeah yes for sure there's pro definitely pros of having a good uh -huh. business partner yeah and then the cons are like you said yeah. vision is different vision I think as businesses grow, mm -hmm. as people change, I don't know, it just becomes complicated. Even if you become business partners with your best friend, you, you hear all the time. That might be the worst, actually. That might be the worst. Because if you lose the partner, you also lose a friend. <laughs> right. Yes, yes. Okay. So Bow Wow, you decided you're going to do it all by yourself and no employees and i think what's funny is um the person who actually introduced us was hiroshi fujiwara who was my first subject on business of hype and when i talked to him about the company of fragment it only has two employees you know ku and kojiro and he said he never wants to grow it beyond that so his goal is also to keep his company as small as possible and you say you have zero employees yes so I think, I mean, going back to Hiroshi Fujiwara, mm. I remember really funnily uh, our time, I think it was probably the first time we met, you yeah. and Jeff, I mean, you, Jeff. Um, we were driving Hiroshi's uh, Mercedes DTM around Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep, that beautiful, beautiful Mercedes. Black Batmobile, and uh, we were just fascinated. I mean, it must have been 10 years ago. Uh huh. Huh? Yeah, at and least. The, and the GPS was like beyond. The world, three-dimensional map. Yeah. <laughs> I know. You were like, wow, this map. <laughs> but nothing's progressed since then. It's weird, isn't it? The automotive industry. Anyway, just uh, sidetracking there. But um, yes, I think there's something really mm -hmm. um, important to learn from Hiroshi. Um, I also believe that the industry has changed a lot, that um, big corporate clients don't mind you being a sole trader or independent. Yeah. Um, in fact, they probably prefer that because right. of the overheads and yeah. agency fees, for example. And um, 
you know, in the last 10 years, yes, I have had an assistant or two, mm -hmm. uh, like Yoshi, but, you know, you can't be honest and say, oh, you know, this is just, this is us, yeah. this is two of us. And they're like, oh, okay. But then, you know, you have the breadth of experience mm -hmm. and you, you have the network yeah. that you've built. It's just not physically possible to finance full-time web developers mm. or, or typographers or film, <laughs> film directors yeah. or graphic designers full-time because, mm. you know, you're always trying to feed yeah. all these um, overheads. Yeah, and I would also argue that trying to employ full-time good ones, like really, really good ones, yes. they don't want to really work full-time for somebody. So you might be able to find like a low-level, sort yeah. of mediocre one, but yeah. if you want good people, yes. they're on their own probably as well. They're all on their own, yeah. exactly. I yeah. think that's what the industry is now. You're not gonna trap these very, very creative people in a nine-to-five job. Mm -hmm. Similarly, you're not gonna be in the office nine-to-five, nor am I. You, yeah, know, you yeah. have to give people the flexibility to travel, right. do their own stuff. Mm -hmm. and there used to be a stigma, I think, against like single or like, you know, small entities where like a client might think like, oh, this isn't professional enough of a setup, right? Yes. But I do, I do agree with you. I think in the past couple of years, it's been like actually the bigger agencies that have hundreds of employees and account service people are now sort of frowned upon. Yes, no, 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 that's true. Because they sort of are like the big sloth that can't react, yeah. right? That's true, that's <laughs> true. I mean, recently I've had experiences where clients have come back to me and I say, sorry, we made a mistake. Uh -huh. We thought that you couldn't manage the project and we went to a big agency mm -hmm. and we had such a terrible time. Yeah, so much bureaucracy, <laughs> so much expense, right? Yeah. <laughs> so much. We're coming back to you and it's like, okay, I'll charge you 30% more, but you. <laughs> <laughs> As a penalty fee. <laughs> yes. I take you back. Right. Mai Igazawa has been called a creative mastermind. And sometimes these personality types take a long and winding road to find out what really makes them tick. I know we drew a comparison to Hiroshi and Fragment and their commitment to keeping their team small. Mai obviously reinforces that idea here. Sometimes creative individuals simply don't work well with others. Oftentimes their vision is just not up for debate or compromise. But finding that out can be a painful process. And you can hear it a bit when Mai talks about disbanding her previous venture, Meow. There is often a relief in moving beyond the bureaucracy of a large team and getting back to what makes you tick as an individual enterprise. The good thing is these days, we seem to be on a trend where the stigma has been removed from small scale creative enterprises. It seems in design, as in sport, the ability to be fast and nimble always wins out. My clients really pan across lots of different um, industries. Um, I, I do specialize in automotive, as you know, mm -hmm. motorsports. My background is in, I used to work a lot in uh, the movies. Mm -hmm. um, I had, for example, Universal Pictures and working title films as a long-term client. Mm -hmm. um, technologies like gaming, properties, mm -hmm. um, high fashion, design. Those are very disparate, like yes. to, a, to a layman, just like movie industry, automotive industry, gaming, <laughs> yeah. and high fashion. That, that, I mean, if you know my, that is you. But those are very like wide, different audiences, yes. I would say. I think <laughs> it's true. And um, I do come from a very um, 
uh, I don't know, what do you call it? Not a very... Um, um, traditional? Not a, yeah. Non-traditional. I come from a very non-traditional background mm -hmm. and I think uh, that shows in my concepts yeah. and ideas. And having been born in Japan but being brought up in the UK, you know, there's, there's this amazing uh, sense of humour and sense of fun that I really picked up from the UK. Yeah. That really shows in my work as well. Uh -huh. So the, there is that seriousness and precis precision yeah. that I get from the Japanese kind of background. Uh -huh. The work ethics. So. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, there's always a sense of fun and humor in my work. And mm -hmm. I think um, that's what my clients always um, seek yeah. when they hire me is that they love the kind of the, the precision. Mm -hmm but also the fun yeah. I bring to the table. So yeah. it's always very, very unique. I looked at your website, you know, just to do a little bit of research. <laughs> I haven't and updated it in about five years. <laughs> <laughs> One of the, uh, you know, under where it says work and then it says like, you know, photography, videography, like, you know, creative direction. There's also like stunt driving. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is that by you? That would be by you, That'd right? That would be by me, yeah. <laughs> Okay, talk a little bit more about stunt driving and how that came to be as a skill set that you offer. Oh my goodness, so where do we go? So, for people who don't know me, mm -hmm. um, I was born in Japan mm -hmm. and um, my father was a, quite a legendary racing driver mm -hmm. and um, I'm his only child. Mm -hmm. So from a very young age, my father will throw me into a go-kart or motocross and mm -hmm. I'd be forced to, I don't know, every weekend drive or ride or whatever. I hated it. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a conventional girl. Yeah. I just wanted to play at home with my uh -huh. dolls. But eventually, the the brainwashing really, really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it brought you to races, I assume. So you're around yes. mechanics and like gearheads yeah. the whole time. So back in the back in the eighties. You know, um, for, um, motor racing wasn't so glamorous. It was more intimate, very family orientated yeah. in a way that, you know, we share pit lanes and, uh -huh. you know, you could walk into other people's garages, not like today's Formula One where there's yeah. security everywhere. Right. So I'll be doing my homework in my motorhome and, you know, there'll be my, the mechanics just kicking ball with me and, you know, Aww. all that fun. So all this uh, kind of, I don't know, my life was you know, away from the conventional mm -hmm. and uh, also family holidays were always, you know, going to Disneyland but we'll have to detour to some workshop or engine yeah. builder on the way. Yeah. So... Very unique upbringing, right? <laughs> and um, that eventually, you know, oh, so this is quite fun, mm -hmm. you know, you know, I do appreciate the aesthetics of cars and bikes yeah. as well as the freedom that you enjoy from driving, for mm -hmm. example. So, yeah, so later in my life, I started to, well, I enjoy long road trips and everything, but I started to kind of start training yeah. as a racing driver. Okay, so you thought about maybe really getting yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, into yeah, it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> you actually took training lessons and I stuff? I trained for a long time. Uh -huh. I used to, like, every break I had, uh, every bit of money that I mm -hmm. had left over, I'll get a, my racing instructor and go to, you know, there's so many race circuits in the UK, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So I'll drive to a race circuit 
and um, you know. <laughs> Did you ever compete in races? Uh, just a little bit, uh -huh. just a little bit. But um, unfortunately, or fortunately, mm -hmm. um, as soon as I, I got my license and I was able to compete, I found myself pregnant. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's not unfortunate. <laughs> so that kind of put a um, yeah mm -hmm. a, a slight stall in my racing career. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of people around me um, that really supported my racing career. But yeah. my, my racing career that debuted but never went anywhere. Uh -huh. Did you ever have um, like? A desire to go into the sort of more artistic like car design side? Car design is really tricky actually yeah. yeah actually I, I, I appreciate good car design but I'm terrible at uh, 3D design. Oh okay so you're more graphic design. Graphic 2D. design yeah yeah yeah. yeah. I, I recently interviewed um, a product designer yeah. who said for product design in that field automotive design is sort of like the echelon like oh. you could design you know like a fork a spoon yeah. a table a chair but automotive is like the top creme de la creme amazing yeah because of just not only do you have to design a beautiful shape but it has to function work take abuse you know like it has to involve all these different elements in order for it to be like considered a good design ah. yeah and it's also like you know the cost around it right like you can't really just design a car, one car it has to be like mass producible and it yeah. has to you know really be functional you yeah, know what i mean yeah. so um, and the aerodynamics as well yeah the science know? behind yeah, it science exactly yeah. yeah i'm fascinated when i see a car that is really beautiful like it's almost like music like he they just fabricated it out of like you know clay but it's like out of nothing like they, it's like a sculpture sculptor exactly, you know exactly yeah i yeah i mean the 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 beauty of those cars are possibly like post 80s unfortunately you see cars today and i guess like you said things have to be mass produced every part is yeah. shared amongst other car companies yes so. and amongst all the classes within their yeah. company right so that's but they used to be much more unique works of art, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. beautiful, yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier that you are born in Japan, raised in London. Yes. You obviously have a heavy British accent, you know, but you, you have um, sort of the aesthetic of the Japanese coupled with like the British sense of humor you mentioned. Do you identify more as a Brit or as Japanese? <gasps> Gosh, uh, that's a really good question because I feel really Japanese and um, but then I feel most comfortable when I live in London interesting you're a, you're <laughs> a lost nomad so you I, and I, I might argue that you might feel very Japanese yeah because you live in London maybe do you feel very Japanese when you spend some significant time in Tokyo yeah because oh, when okay. I land in Haneda yeah and I I don't know, I smell and I see just Tokyo, it's like, oh, this is home. You know, uh -huh. I really feel like, oh, this is my home. To your DNA, like yeah. down to the yeah, core, yeah, yeah, you yeah. feel like it's you. Yeah. Right, and you, but you don't feel like a foreigner here. Do you feel like an outsider in London? No. You feel, you're like dual citizenship completely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, London is so welcoming uh, yeah. out of all the other cosmopolitan cities I could think of. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. It is really. It's yeah. really racially diverse, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Yep. So now your your main work is Bow Wow International. Um, how um, do you go about getting new clients and new work? 
Um, well, I've become to, I mean, I'm very flattered, um, but I've, I've been known to be an expert in my field now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if somebody says, oh, there's a really interesting automotive project mm -hmm. um, that crosses over lifestyle or fashion or design, they will say, oh, you must speak to mine. <laughs> yeah. Or you must meet my friend mine. You're at the top of a very short list of, <laughs> exactly. right? Of, like, there's not even that many of those it's, experts. It's, like... <laughs> it's really unfair. <laughs> <laughs> but I fast-tracked. Yeah. But, um, you know, I have built my quite robust network. Yeah. Um, I haven't, I'm, I mean, I'm not a networker uh -huh. as such. But uh, I've really built my business around a very solid network, mm. and um, yes. Was that deliberate or accidental? I really think it's accidental. So you didn't say like, oh, let me pick this really niche sort of like automotive fashion lifestyle thing and like own that. <laughs> Not at all. Okay. But I think <laughs> I mean, you can lie and say yes I did. That was my genius idea. <laughs> Oops. Oops. But when you're really passionate about something and mm -hmm. you just read, breathe, smell, drive, as you know, even stunt drive as a service. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a bit of a joke, but it really is true. You know, I could yeah. drive, I could talk about engineering, um, you know, yeah. I, I could talk about aesthetics and branding of a automotive mm -hmm. and where they should take the industry as a whole as well. So yes. Well, let me ask you this, because you had those pas different passions innately. Did you ever at one point think like, well, the automotive industry is so stodgy and like, you know, old boys club. Maybe I, I need to just take a departure from the fashion lifestyle side and just compromise and do it their way. Or you just sort of head fast said like, I'm just going to do it. I think is the right way. I would say that um, the industry's as a crossroad now, mm -hmm. you know, they, they are still doing the traditional communication, marketing, mm -hmm. you know, I think the, your traditional core customers are still very important in automotive, you know, your petrol hairs, you know, I don't want to be too much of a cliche, but the male, mm -hmm. high net worth, yeah. petrol heads, mm -hmm. um, you know, they're still your core um, customers, so they still communicate to them yeah. in a very traditional manner. But then, you know, if you look at, I don't know, your luxury audience, maybe similar to you in your mm -hmm. industry as well, mm -hmm. um, you have to break that audience down and say, well, what is your um, customer base now? Yeah. You know, they are more gender neutral and ageless and, right. and you're, you know, you have to also speak to the women. That's 50% mm -hmm. of untapped market that mm -hmm. the automotive industry has totally ignored. Yep. Or Since the inception of the car, <laughs> yeah. right? totally um, patronized yes and you know I am a high net worth woman uh -huh. I don't speak to my husband and ask what car should I buy dear <laughs> right. can it's, I get the station wagon yeah. <laughs> exactly so but it's funny because well when when you go on the corporate side of things do you find an increase in women on like the corporate level of the automobile industry slowly okay. slowly and um, you know, just, but then it, it's a very, very, I mean, I feel very comfortable in the automotive industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at the, the Me Too, um, yeah. what is it, movement yeah. going on now, 
and there's been none of that. Yes, it is a very male-dominant industry, but uh -huh. there's never any disrespect. Okay. Um, at all. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, you still see those girls displayed at yeah. the motor shows. You think, my goodness, please stop. <laughs> oh my God, that that will never change. Will never change. I feel like the the you're talking about the show car show model. That's like. For some reason, when you premiere a car, you have to have a scantily clad yeah. woman next to it. Yeah. It's almost like a the car's not that well designed, so we're gonna put this beautiful yeah. woman like yeah. in a bikini so that you you don't know what to look at. Don't look at the bumper. <laughs> don't look at the bumper. Look at her ass instead. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But um. <laughs> I guess that came out from like the calendars. Is like where did that? <laughs> Is it just the calendar, the calendar, and, and the yeah. Formula One pit pit lane pit girls as well? Yeah. I, I think they recently banned that. They said for next from this season, uh -huh. there's no more pit girls. Wow, but, that's, that's uh, a part of progression. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You have to lobby for that. Have some like guys up there, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> who's gonna be the first automobile brand that has like a half naked guy on stage? That'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> tap into your gay market. Right. Exactly. <laughs> High net worth. They buy cars. Yeah. <laughs> Embrace your own idiosyncrasies. While your friends and family might find your combination of interests and passions to be very strange, take advantage of them. Use them as an asset to set yourself apart from the pack. Having confidence in that is not a bad thing. Yes, I'm telling you to love your weird self. Maiden win a lottery to become an authority on this cluster of disciplines. She lived them. She earned them. Her credentials matter here. And it's fair that she stands apart from the crowd because she comes to the table with a unique pedigree and an equally diverse library of ideas. And within that is value to others. I see this a lot from young creatives I meet. So be mindful of your worth and know how to value yourself. Being a working woman in the automobile industry, especially an independent, not you're not like, you know, um, an account executive for an ad agency. You, you don't feel... Um, any disrespect or slight when you go into these meetings? You feel like your reputation has sort of cemented itself? Um, yes, uh, fortunately yes. And um, I speak to really the, the top players in the industry as well mm -hmm. and they really consult me and my opinions. Mm -hmm. So I'm really, really grateful that they really believe in me and take my advice or my opinions really, really seriously. Right. And, you know, if you look at um, I don't know, even from a social level, I've been part of a judging panel for a classic car automotive mm -hmm. um, events, a very, very elite um, level. And, uh, you know, I was like, really? Me? You mm -hmm. want me to be on the judging panel? And you see the, the, the other judges yeah. on the panel, and they are the elderly mm -hmm. gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> And you think, wow, I'm so honored to be part of this. But then the, you know, the event organizers also see me uh -huh. as this, I don't know, the, the alternative. The new know, generation. The new generation. Yeah. And I represent that new generation and that, the, the alternative voice, which is really, really valid in, in this industry, I mm -hmm. think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, still sticking on your creative agency side. So you get a new client because of your network and your reputation and somebody calls you up and says, we want you to work on a project or we want you to do some judging. How do you decide what you're going to charge them? How do you put a price on yourself? How do you do it, Joe? 
<laughs> Damn. <laughs> okay, I'll start. Um, typically, I do a balance of how much I personally feel passionate about a project um, versus the dollar amount, and they're sort of like on a on a scale where it's like if I'm really passionate about the project and it's really really exciting to me, then I'll do it for whatever available budget they have. And potentially, if the project is really exciting, even if they have no budget, I might do it because I'm that passionate about it. And the inverse is the same. So if the project is not so personally interesting, <laughs> it might be good for our portfolio and our resume and like added work, but then the price gets more and more penalizing <laughs> for that, right? And there's gonna be, I think it's important, you know, I don't know why I'm answering this question for you. I'm totally <laughs> letting you off the hook here. But I, I think there, it's important to know, to imagine yourself working on this project and your happiness level on it and, and knowing that like, when I get that payment, it will feel fair and, and good. I'll feel good about doing this job. And know that if there's like a lower number, you'll really hate every day yeah, that you're yeah, working yeah, yeah. on that and try to just keep it above yeah. that level, right? That You summarized it really well. I think there is a barometer mm -hmm. that we have inside us. It's that gut feeling, right? Yeah. And you're, are you pretty strong? Like you feel good about that barometer that you have? I think so. I think similar barometer you have. Mm -hmm. Somebody years ago taught me the formula, the three Fs. Oh, what is this? It's the fun, fame, fortune. Okay. I mean, you basically summarize yeah, it. Yeah, that's has a good one, yeah. It two of those words. Okay, two of the three. Two of the three. Uh-huh. So, that's a good one. Yeah. Fun, fame, fortune. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if it's going to be, if it's going to bring fame mm -hmm. in terms of your portfolio, yeah. you'll do it. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's going to be fun. Yeah. You'll do it. Right. Uh, so what's the worst, if it's just fortune, Fortune, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good, that's a real, the three Fs is yeah, really good because yeah. sometimes you do stuff admittedly just for the fortune yeah. and you're missing the other two and they never are that no, fulfilling. No. It's missing the fourth F. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Equation no, no. equals fulfilling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, so uh, you're, would you say you're quite good at it? Like, or do you still, even in your experience sort of era, do you still find yourself like, man, I could, I should have charged more for that. That really wasn't worth it. Uh, rarely, no. Okay. You're... I think my my barometer is quite spot on. Okay. And uh, and also because I'm independent now, I don't mm. have an agency. Mm -hmm. I can really pick and choose who I work with. Yeah. And I have to be really, really, I have to ta time manage myself very, very well. Mm -hmm. So if I have even the slightest uh, concern about a client or a project. Uh, I have to say no. Mm. So the work I do now, and also plus I'm a mother, mm -hmm. and uh, you know I have to be really, really productive with my time. Yeah, yeah. Mai here provides an awesome life hack with her three Fs: fun, fame, or fortune. Two of the three will equal another F: fulfillment. If you only have one of the Fs, it won't likely give you fulfillment. So the lesson here is that everyone should have their own formula. Everyone should have their own process in which to gauge work and really effectively gauge happiness, right? After all, we're in this for the creative contribution we're making to the world. And if you could provide some level of fulfillment while paying the bills, that's what it's all about. If you're listening to this, I would love to hear what your formula is. How do you gauge whether you're gonna take a project or not? So write in and let me know. How about um, in terms of like contracts 
and like uh, billing on a per project basis versus like a longer term like uh, a retainer. Do, is there like a policy that you have for that? Um, the work naturally um, tends to work better on a retainer, the mm -hmm. things that I do because they're not, um, because I'm not a producer, I'm more of a consultant, advisor, you know, mm -hmm. I'm more of a, a long-term um, partner, partner yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. So a retainer works much better. In Can you define a retainer for your perspective and for the audience that might not know what a retainer is? You book my time. <laughs> <laughs> like, a, like a psychiatrist? <laughs> like a psychiatrist. You have a part of me and you guarantee my time per month. Oh, good. Right? That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Okay. Versus like um, like a taxi cab driver where like you're on the clock. Exactly. When you're on retainer, you don't look at the clock. No. Is that right? No, 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 no. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you say um, X amount of dollars is sort of like based on the number of hours you think you'll be thinking about this project. Yes. And yeah. you don't really keep an accounting of like, oh, you've gone over 30 minutes this month. No, yeah. no, no, no. Right. No. Yeah. I think that doesn't work for creatives to be looking at a clock. We it's, can't, yeah. Right? It's hard to be like, I'm going to stop thinking about this yeah. project now. How much is it going to cost the client? Imagine, like, you know, you're always thinking about uh, an idea. You yeah, know, exactly. You, know. you could be sitting in a park with your kid and, yeah. like, thinking about this <laughs> exactly. font, you know? Like, exactly. <laughs> oh, I dreamt about your project last night. Can I right. charge you? Yeah. <laughs> I had eight hours of sleep. I'm going to charge you eight hours for this. Exactly. <laughs> That's a good project. That's a good um, business um, strategy. Yeah. <laughs> I bet some agencies charge like that. <laughs> yeah. um, I'd, I'd love to see you pitching like your ideas to a boardroom. It's probably the funniest thing in the world. Oh, I have stop to it. It's probably like just laughs and jokes. Like, or are you, are you really buttoned up and professional with your pitches? Oh my God, you have to ask my clients, I think. <laughs> well, do you, are you like PowerPoint, keynote presentation, or are you like, you know, are you really, you know, buttoned up or do you go in and freestyle it? Uh, I prepare. I really, really prepare. Uh -huh. And um, I've been told, I, I have received feedback that I'm very good at storytelling. Mm -hmm. However, I do go off on in tangents mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I, I have to, that's why I have to really plan my presentation so I don't just fly off and yeah, start yeah. talking about something totally random. Uh-huh. Uh, like so this you interview. like, <laughs> <laughs> like this? No, no, no. The point of this interview. That's the point. Uh, so you you make a PowerPoint and like uh, PowerPoint? No, P clients always ask for PowerPoint, but I'll do a PDF, like InDesign. Really? PDF? Yeah, I cannot do PowerPoint. Oh. I, I was like, it's like, oh, this is horrible. That's another thing you have in common with Hiroshi. He oh, doesn't I... even know how to use PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, funny. Oh, so you create like an agenda, sort of like a talking point in a PDF. Yeah. yeah. Like a proper process uh -huh. of what I'm going to talk about. Otherwise, I can't, you know, my, my mind will just fly from one uh, conversation to the other. And then do you get nervous before these things? Yeah. But then the nerves go away the mm -hmm. more you practice. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you see these people presenting. Mm -hmm. I think, well, why do they look so natural? They're not even looking at their notes. Yeah. It's because they practice. Uh -huh. that they, I realize, okay, it's because I need practice. Mm -hmm. And then on the day, I'm fine. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you still negotiate the dollars? So, like, the pitch goes well, great, my, we want to do this. They still talk to you about the numbers, of I assume. Of course. Okay. Doesn't, Don't they? Don't, don't you? I, I, 
I'm trying to remove that aspect from my life. Like get a lawyer or... Or a business development person. Yeah. yeah because I feel like it's hard for the artist, in uh, artist I'm using as a broad term, but yeah. the person actually doing the work yeah. to be the one also discussing the money. I agree. Um, it's almost like going to a restaurant and talking to the chef about how much your steak will cost. Like negotiating <laughs> with like the actual guy cooking, like, hey, can I get a little bit less? What if you cut that steak in half? Can I get half? He's uh, like, dude, I'm cooking the steak. Talk to the person in the front yeah. about the money. You know? That's true. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Those things should be separate. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. If you find a good business developer, uh -huh. can we share that person? Yes, okay. <laughs> also, I think there's a bit of like, you know, a, and I'm speaking to creatives here, but like there should be like a, a good cop, bad cop. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. It's because true. if you're doing the work and there's and and you have a client that's sort of trying to squeeze more work oh, yeah. slash less money out yeah. of you, you feel a little bit victimized. Yeah. And often you, you get clients say, Well, you know, that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. They say, Oh well, you know. Here's the tip. <laughs> clients will always say that. <laughs> yeah. That's like their that's their job to say that. That's true. You know, like you could have said 50 cents. It's their job to say, how about 45 cents? <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't be doing their job if they just paid the 50. Like, I'm going to use that next time I see my clients. <laughs> Jeff said. Your job. job. <laughs> right. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. This was awesome. Thank you, Jeff. All right. Hey, thanks for listening to this insightful episode with the super talented and charming Mai Ikizawa. As always, you can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I personally use Anchor FM. And also leave a comment and tell us what you think of the show. It definitely helps a lot. You can also reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Staple. And we occasionally answer listener questions on the show. So if you have a question, shoot it over to questions at businessofhype.com. The Business of Hype is created in collaboration with Bright Young Things. You can check out their work at byt.nyc. Our director is Daniel Novetta. Our audio engineer is David Rogers Berry. And our intern is Sydney Pacumpera. I'm Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hype Radio. <laughs>